Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. Bibles, go to Matthew 8, starting at verse 18. We're continuing in our part three of uh, getting to the boat. It's interesting how the words through our worship this morning, how God has encouraged us to go again. Church, let me just say something to you. I'm going to say it as I'm speaking, but you would be wise to hear what God is saying. You would be wise to hear what God is saying in this season. There are many battles within you. There are many battles without. In fact, there's only two types of battles in life. There's one that goes on inside you and one that goes on around you. Yeah? And uh, very often, you think the one inside you is the result of the one that's going on around you. No, it's not. You as a Christian are meant to, to be able to develop character, stamina, perseverance, tr- uh, all, all those fruits of the Spirit, so that you can control. So if you can control what goes on inside you, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. It's true. Because the first place that you bail out is inside. The church can always stand persecution when she's persecuted from out, from outside. You don't have to go in any nation of the world where the church has been persecuted and the church grows stronger. Hello? The church grows stronger. But once the believers get frightened inside and fearful inside, game over. The war is always taken to the inside. So once you can, once you can build up some structures and some strategies so the war doesn't go on inside, there'll always be things coming at you, always. But if you can find that peace of God to keep your heart sound, I guarantee you, church, you will rise in the midst of destruction. Hey, good morning. So in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, there's always a crowd. So he, he decides to break from the crowd. So he gives the, the disciples the orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came and said to him, teacher, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, really? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has, has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Then he got into the boat. Then he got into the boat. He wasn't sidetracked by what was going on by the crowd. He still got into the boat. Why? Because he knew his journey had not yet finished. Many of us will stay on the, on the, on the other side with the crowd. Why? Because it's safe to stay with the crowd. But God is breaking you away from one crowd to merge you to another crowd. There are two crowds. There's one on this side and one on the other side. The one on this side heard their message, received it, but now there's a crowd on the other side who have not. True? You were once the crowd who had not heard the message. Now you've heard the crowd, now you've received the message. The order for you now is to cross over to go to a crowd that hasn't received the message. That's you. That's part of your assignment. So go and find the crowd. The people in the crowd and speak to those people. Amen? So... And they got into the boat and his disciples followed him. So straight away there was fellowship. There was leadership. Now there's fellowship. Amen. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake. Without warning. Without warning. These things never, we never see them coming. They just seem to come and appear from nowhere. But they're here. So much so that the, the waves swept over the boat. 
So now we see the size of the storm. But Jesus was sleeping. How can you sleep in a boat when there's a storm? Why? Because you're the son of God. You've got peace. Now the question is, can you, are you able to sleep in your storm? Are you able to sleep in the boat? Or are you one of those who's freaking out all the time and crying, Jesus, where, where are you? If you love me, you would not let me go through this. It seems like Jesus has been negligent. It seems like he's switched off, but on the contrary. He's got peace in his heart. He, he's not switched off. He's never switched off. He knows what's going to happen. But all things work for the good of us. Amen? We don't always see it. We don't always feel it. That's the awful things work out for our good. So then he said, the disciples went on and woke him. Cheers, guys. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. That was a polite way of saying, you scumbags, I was sleeping. How do you feel when someone wakes you up in the middle of the night? Yeah, exactly. But he didn't. He's shown all the mercy of, a, of, of, of a, the Son of God. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. And he was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Such a small thing. Such a small thing for Jesus to control. So there's three aspects of this whole deal. There's our personal, there's our personal obedience to the voice and the command and the will of God. Our personal obedience to the, the voice, the command and the will of God. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side. So he says, get in the boat. So they, they didn't say, well, can I stay here? I don't, want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go right now. They just followed him. They just followed him. So our personal obedience to the voice, command, and will of God, not just to a voice, to the voice, to the command and the will of God. The will of God was for God to show them there was something different on the other side. My friends, there's so much on the other side that God wants to share with you and wants you to enter into and for you to see and personally taste. But if you won't get in the boat and keep with him, you can never, ever see what he's got for you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for us. But God is revealing it to us by the Spirit, says the word. But if you don't follow his command and follow his will, he can't share those things with you. There's so much more. And our greatest regret will be one day if, if God shows us what we could have had. Had we only pushed a little bit further. You know, it's like that game. Come and see, you know, what was it? Bullies, uh, bullies. He said, come and see what you could have won. Never tell me what I could have had. Just show me what, I'm at, what you've got me. Don't show me what I could have had. We want what you've got. Lord, we want to see what you've got for us. But it's not easy. You've got to stay with the word. That's all we have is his word. And then the next aspect of this whole thing is the actual journey. In other words, movement, overcoming your inertia. So that you can create the word inside us will create the impetus for us to overcome our inertia. So we can create some momentum in the spirit. Amen. That's why his word must come to us. His word is a force on its own. It creates movement. But guess what? So is your will. 
Your will can neutralize the word of God for your life. It can't neutralize the word of God. It just neutralizes it for your life. Amen. I can't determine David. I can't stop David's uh, assignment. Only David can stop. I can hinder it, but I can't ultimately stop it. Why? That's between him and God. If he receives all the negativity that I keep giving to him, it will influence him. Of course it will. But he ultimately has the, the power and the will to say, no, not my will, O Lord, but your will be done. That's the greatest gift that God gave to you is the power of your will. So that your will conforms to his will. Amen. That's what you get rewarded for. It's no longer I that live. That's my will. But it's Christ who lives in me. Amen. I no longer, I, every time when I'm getting in the boat and I don't want to get in the boat, it's no longer I that live. It's him now. But if I keep speaking, guess what? Christ isn't in me. It's me what's alive. Amen. So your will is a very powerful thing. But you need to start moving in your journey towards those things that God wants us to have. So we've heard a whole bunch of things this morning about opening, uh, allowing our lives to become vulnerable. That is perfect language for getting your boat, go to the other side. Because when you're vulnerability, that's the last thing you want to do. You want to stay on this side where it's safe. But God's saying, no, no, no. I'm coming after your vulnerability. Hello? I'm coming after your vulnerability. I'm going to pursue you. Why? Because there are things in your heart that God doesn't want you to carry. Burdens he doesn't want you to carry. Scars in your life he doesn't want you to carry. He wants you to be whole. Hello? Whole. But you say, no, no, no. I've got a hole in my heart and I ain't having no more. No, no, no. He says whole. W-H. So... Without warning, a furious storm came up so much so that the waves swept over the boat. Anybody had that feeling? That you, all of a sudden you feel up to, up to here. You can't swim. You're treading water. And you're thinking, well, someone pull the plug out. Drain this, drain this pool. And you stay there. And it goes on for days, weeks, and for some people, years. Until you either learn to swim across to the other side. Or you give up. And you know when you give up, you float anyway. True? You're built to overcome this stuff. You're built to overcome it. Yes? But when you start flapping and you put your arms up in the air, what happens? You sink. But your body is designed just to chill. When you relax and you're at peace, you can float. Now, you may not go anywhere. But the best thing to do is swim out of that thing. Is it not? God, God is able to save us. And then the next side, the next part of the lesson here is we have the other side. The other side. There is another side to this. All what's going on in your life on this side, there's something better on the other side. There is. But on the other side, it starts all over again. That's the good news. It starts all over again because on the other side, there's also opposition. I know you didn't want to hear that, but... But it doesn't actually come the first day you get on the other side. You know that, don't you? It's process. It's seasonal. It lets you get to the other side. And then, you know, the demonic gadarenes will find you. Don't worry. But here's, here's the thing about the demonic gadarene in this story. They were stopping Jesus from advancing. 
They were stopping Jesus from doing his, his assignment and his father's will. Well, guess what? No power on earth is ever going to stop Jesus from fulfilling his father's will. So the first thing they say, have you come for us? You're damn right I've come for you. You're part of my assignment. You're an obstacle. You're a path. There's a path here and you're an obstacle. Other people need to tread this road. And every time they tread this road, you two demoniacs come out and you start screaming and frighten everybody who comes. So therefore, people don't want to cross to the other side because there's fear. And there's things in the spirit that we have to move so that a whole company of people can come through and get to the other side. There is some demonic opposition on the other side, but that's not enough for us to stay this side. Hello? Either way, you're going to be plagued if you go that side or that side. You might as well come across with us. Think about it. The demoniacs have already got you on this side. That's why so many won't come. In your hurts and your wounds, so many stay on here. The demoniac is already scaring you. So you might as well get in the boat with Jesus and, take, and at least take a punt at this thing. You're better with him than without. Because without there, Jesus is moving on. Well, Jesus loves me and he'll always get well. Grow up. Read your Bible. Jesus is moving on. Though he'll never leave you nor forget you, guess what? He's not waiting around for you neither. You only have to call him, and you'll see that in a minute, and he will come. When you call, he will answer. But he's not waited, he's still moved on. He's still doing far more behind your back and in, and, and in front of you than he's ever doing in front of you. You can't limit God to you. You cannot limit God to you and how you think and how you feel. God doesn't do that. I said to you, the reason why many of you have to get outside the church and travel across the nations is so that you get the right, accurate interpretation of what God's doing. Because not everything can be interpreted in your, by your life or in our church. You have, to, you have to see and interpret what God's doing by what he's doing beyond us. Amen? And that's why some of you will never see the kingdom in its full entirety because you don't go beyond your boundaries. You won't let us take you beyond the boundary. You won't let the Holy Ghost. But listen to Paul's aspects here. To these three things I've just said to you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. In Galatians 5, 7, he says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from, listen, the first thing, obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. The first thing that he talks about here is obedience. The first thing the disciples were challenged on about getting in the boat was their obedience. But here Paul's talking about some of those people heard the word of the Lord. They got in the boat and as they were rowing and the storm came up, they, Paul likens it to a race. Whether you're in the boat or you're running on the ground, the analogy still works. It's still a race. You're on your journey. Amen. But he says something and someone cut in on you. And tried to stop you from fulfilling the will of God. Amen. He said this. Not only it stops you, but stops you from obeying the truth. 
The kind of persuasion, he said, that kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. So we, we recognize there's someone behind this. Could it be the demonic gathering? A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. When someone gets hurt, someone gets offended, it's a little bit of yeast that the more you think about it, the more you meditate on it, the more you talk to others and others talk to you about it, it builds. True? And then you bake, you know, you start kneading it into your life. So now it affects all your emotions. Now you go to sleep with it, you wake up with it. And now it's firmly become part of you. It's stained every part of you. True? And the chances are it'll become an action. But I know I'm not talking to the crowd who's ever been plagued by that kind of thing. Said the one who is throwing you into confusion. You better understand the one who's throwing you into confusion. You need to know who it is who's throwing you into confusion. And he says this. Because the one who's throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty. Whoever he may be. Paul didn't say it was necessarily Satan. Paul didn't use Satan. He says whoever it may be. We have to look at our friendships, our relationships, our connections. People will be negative. It's part of life for them to be negative. Then the next thing we see in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. He says, give you time to get there. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Paul starts talking about a focus journey. Here's these people. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything, or let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Wow. And let us run. Let us roll. Let us go back into the deep. But let us do it with perseverance. Let us run the mark, the race already marked out for us. But here's the key. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The disciples fixed their eyes on the storm. The disciples fixed their eyes on what was taking place all around them rather than what was inside the boat with them. Sometimes we fix our eyes on everything that's coming against us rather than the one who's able to stand up against it. True? For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. True? The battle is the Lord's. But once the battle gets inside, you're finished. So all your strength and effort must be to keep the battle from entering inside of you. Which is, which is a hard job. It's hard to keep your mind focused. It's hard to keep your heart clean. It's hard to keep your thoughts to yourself. It's hard to keep your mouth shut. Is it not? Come on. Right. He said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So it's like, get a life. Get a life. One of us has suffered in a way that many of you have never and hope that you never do. But one has gone beyond and crossed over so that we also can cross over. When Jesus crossed from over from death to life, he did it so that we could cross over. 
Jesus, when he was in that garden, had the potential to get out of his father's boat. Do you understand that? When he was there on his own, he heard, he, Jesus said, I only do what I see the father doing and I only say what the father is saying. So when the father said something, Jesus had to obey it. Hebrews tells us that Jesus, even as the son of God, had to learn obedience. If the son of God had to learn it, who are you to think you're different? So Jesus had to learn it and he kept saying, not my will but your will be done. So at that point, he's now made a choice to whether work independently from his father or to work with his father. How many gardens do you have where the opportunity comes for you to work independently of your heavenly father? And you, and you sweat in. Every situation breeds its own kind of sweat. Now Jesus sweated drops of blood. Can you imagine the intensity there to sweat blood? Amen? So at that point, he is potentially being challenged to either ditch his father's boat, which is his father's will, and cross to the other side, the other side being life, or I'm going to go all the way. And Jesus makes the decision in his heart to say, not my will, but your will. If there's any other way, Lord, let me walk round the river, let me walk over the water, because he knows he can walk on water. If there's any other way, I'll do it, but... You know, Lord, I don't want to go this way, Father, but it's your will that if I don't go this way, there's a whole bunch behind me you can't cross over. There's a whole bunch you can't cross over. I have to be the pattern. I have to be the model as the son of God so that people can enter into the rest. I've got to defeat some things on my journey so that others can get the, the benefits of that. So when he sits, when he says, sit down at my right hand and I'll make all your enemies your footstool, guess what? He's achieved something. So now that you will come through, through the name of Christ, through the authority of Christ, through the blood of Jesus, you also can share in his victory. You also have the same access, the same uh, power, the same authority that Jesus Christ has. Why? Because his power and authority came as a result of him yielding himself. Now it can never be tested. Now it can never be disproved. He's done it once for all. The man Christ Jesus has crossed over. The man Christ Jesus. He came as a man. Became as a son of God, he came as a man. That's what we call incarnate deity. Though he was man, he was still God. And his flesh had to suffer all the time. He's spiritual inside, but his flesh has to undergo. He still has to make choices like you and I. So that he can cross over to the other side, so that you can cross over. So when he asks you to do it, you know he's already done it. And he says this, by the way, David, he says, if people will hate you, take heart, they'll hate you. But here's the joy, they hated me first. Well, that's a great comfort, Lord, to know that people hate me. They hated you first. But he says, take comfort from that. Why? Because if I take comfort from it, I can watch the way he handled it. And I can learn the way he handled it. So by following his path, right? For by following his path, I can get to where he is. But the, the demonic gathering waits and tries to block off your path. He waits for you. He sets traps for you. The Bible says he's a snare. So he waits for you, hoping that you're, going to be, that you're going to be deterred from running your race. And if you can whisper things and get inside your head, 
I'll stay here. I'll stay here, it's safer. Well, I've been hurt, so that justifies me now no longer moving on. No, it doesn't. It does not justify anything. Listen, every one of us in this room have all got pain. Every one of us have felt that pain. Pain's awful. Pain is awful. I don't like it. I wish all my days could be sunny. Are you the same? No one likes grief. No one likes pain. No one likes sadness. No one likes hurt. No one likes that stuff. We wouldn't volunteer for it, would we? But as a way of finding you. True? But when you get through it, there's there's a sense of joy that you've come through it and you've learned some things. We wouldn't necessarily lose the people along or we wouldn't have gone through those kind of things and volunteered again but there's something that enters our heart that says you know I'm glad I've come through sometimes you actually say to yourself you know if it taught me what I've I've learned I'll go back and do it again there's different types of pain amen there's different types of pain but nevertheless pain has to be learned from the, pain, the painful part is when we don't have an answer for our pain. Why, Lord, did you let it happen? And then we read the scripture that says, you know, all things work together. And I'm thinking, Lord, I don't see it. I can't see it and because I can't see it. Then I have a tendency to say it's not true. So I disconnect. Now, God is merciful at that point because he knows how deep our hurt is. And that's why God says, let me come in. Let me show you some things. It might take you five, might take you four, might take you 10 years before you finally understand what you went through and why you went through it. I don't understand half the stuff I went through. I wrote a book called Crossing, Passing Through, Crossing Over. I wrote it at the most painful time of my life. And you know what? It's never even left a shelf. You've never seen it. You've never read it. You don't know what I said in it. Probably not even interested. But you know, every page I wrote was therapeutic for me. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to change the nations. Change nothing. It's still sat on my shelf. And I ask myself, why, Lord, did you allow me to write that? I haven't got the full answer. I haven't got the full answer. All I know, that it helped me express what was inside my heart. If that was the only thing, 100 and odd pages later. Sometimes we don't know why. But we can't break from the journey. We might rest, but we don't break. And in Acts 20, verse 24, Acts 20, Paul had a determination to push those things aside that would bring him opposition. Paul had the key, he knew how to push the demonic gatherings when they come on your, on your path, trying to stop you from progressing. Paul knew, he said this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. That's a good place to start. That's why the same man who said that, he says, I no longer live, but it's Christ. Paul was dead inside. Not dead because he didn't have no feelings, but he he learned to bring his will to the end. Hello? He brought his will to the end. He wasn't dead because he had no emotions. Of course he was. He says, I consider my life nothing worth to me if only I may finish the race and completely and complete the task the Lord Jesus gave me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now for Paul, there was many crossing over moments because he was driven by a task to go and share this love, this grace, this message with a group who were on the other side. That's why they go to one place, stop there, teach the people, then move on. They were always moving on. Why? Because because of the task 
Jesus never, that's why he said foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Why? Because I'm not built for stopping. It wasn't that Jesus didn't have any house. He had his father's house. Jesus never had to sleep in the open. If he chose to do that, it was his. Not because he didn't have anywhere. He could only have to speak house. House, and one appears. True? That wasn't what he was saying. He says, I'm not built for stopping. I'm built for moving. If you follow me, don't put your roots down in one place because I'm moving all the time. So to follow Jesus meant that you were constantly, always moving with him. Amen? So, if I may complete the task Jesus Christ has given me, if I may only finish the race and complete the task that he's given me, the task of testifying to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know when those disciples got in the boat, they did not know their assignment other than cross to the other side. They didn't know they would become world changers. They did not know what was on the other side. You and I, my friend, by obeying one word can lead you to a whole destiny. By obeying one word, it can change your whole life. One word. The one thing the disciples did not, did not have within them was peace. When they entered that boat, they did not have peace. So much so as the storms around them, they had to call on a higher name. Jesus. Don't you know there's a storm here? Can't you feel it? No. Well, aren't you wet by the water that's coming in? No, I'm waterproof. He didn't even feel the water. He must have been in a good, sound sleep. Hey, that's good. When you can enter that kind of rest, when you can enter that kind of rest, then you know, boy, Jesus was undercover. He was so deep, he was undercover. Amen? Let us go to Hebrews 4.11. And this is both Jesus, sorry, by both, yeah, both Jesus his disciples and the Apostle Paul was all motivated and driven by the word of God. They were all moved by what God was saying. What God was speaking through his son Jesus and what God was revealing to them directly. They were all moved by that. Then he says this in Hebrews 4, 11, Therefore, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So that no one will fall by following their examples of what? Disobedience. For the word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing. What does, it, what does it divide? It divides your soul, your spirit, your joint and your marrow. It judges your thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We said this morning that God, only God knows the thoughts of man, but God wants man to know the thoughts of God. True? So what he knows, he doesn't tell anybody else about you. But what you know about him, he wants you to tell everyone. That's the difference between you and God. What he knows about you, he doesn't tell anyone. But what you know about him, he wants you to tell everyone. 
so that everyone can enter into the same joy that you've entered into. But this word, so many, you know, right around the nations of the world, this word will be read this morning. And though it has power, there'll be millions and millions of believers who think it has no power. Other than liturgy, liturgy, it'll be read out like liturgy, like a formula. You say something, I say something. It's, t- it's called liturgical table tennis. I say something, you respond. I say something, you respond. And they don't, it doesn't have any power, but it has all power. They just don't know it has power. But when the word is on, what should you say, when the cage is taken off the word and the word is allowed to be ministered, it has power. It divides. It cuts. It cuts the spirit, the soul. You know when a word comes into your heart, how God's knife just seems to gently open you up, separate the liver from the heart. I know your liver's not there, but separate your liver from your heart. It separates. He knows exactly where to get to. Don't it? It knows how to make its way all the way through your internal organs till it gets to you. It knows how to push all your thoughts to one side and and arrest you. True? That's the power it has. It has the power for you to be walking down the road, finger up your nose, not a care in the world, and God only has to speak one word, and all of a sudden, he's got your attention. He knows how to get you. When this word is allowed to move, there is nothing that can stop it. But it's, the key is when it's allowed. When it's allowed. So he says, let us make every effort to enter the rest. Every effort. How much? Right. So when you've got hurts and you've got grievances... And you've got disappointments like we all have. We have to make every effort. There's still a work that still has to be done. There is still an expectation from God upon us to make every effort. Church, you're not understanding this. There is still no excuse for you doing nothing about what you think and what you feel. There is no excuse. So then what we do is this. This is what self-pity does. Well, if you love me, I'll walk the other way. And you can follow me. Because if you really love me, you'll have to come and get me. I know none of you have ever been there. Well, here's the reply from this gracious, loving, merciful God. Stay where you are. I already came once and got you. You need to hear that again. I'm not coming after you. Why? Because I already came once for mankind. I came once for mankind. I provided a way for you so that you could cross over. If you want to go that way, jog on. You want him to keep leaving his father's throne and pursuing you. Ta-da! He did it once. Well, Lord... I want, Lord, just pour out your love. We've all prayed that. Reality check. Da-da. I did it once and poured it all out. I can't, there's no more left, Tony, to pour out for you. It's there. Just partake of it. Wrong prayer. Lord, 
Let me enter greater dimensions of your love. Reveal greater dimensions of your love to me. That's different. Then keep asking him to pour it out. And when he don't feel it and you don't receive it, you think, ah, it's his fault. So now you feel justified for staying where you are. And then you say this, well, I'm going to be a real bad boy. I'm going to be a real bad boy. I'm going to come over here and be a bad boy. Why? Because I deserve to be punished anyway. So I'm going to be punished. You might as well do it real good. So now you go off the rails even worse. And you justify it because he didn't answer you. He didn't come to you. So this is your way of getting back to him. There's only you who suffer. There's only you who suffer. But you think, ha, got him back there, didn't I? I used to do this. I used to do this. So then you think, well, I've sinned. I feel so guilty. I can't go back, so I might as well pursue it. Well, Lord, if you love me, you'll have to come and speak to me because I can't feel you right now. I know none of you have played this game. (laughs) These are the games of immature Christianity. These are the games of hurting people. But God doesn't play that game. God says, you must come to where I am. And I'll show you. Because I know some of you have got this gospel that says, oh, he'll always pursue me. He never leaves them. He never leaves. He, he never leaves the sheep. He'll come back for the one. Hey, that's about evangelism. That's not about a sinner that keeps walking off. That's about the crowd who's heard him. So he'll go and get the one who hasn't heard him. So here we go. Let us make every effort to enter into the rest. So that no one will fail by following their example of disobedience. Well, if he does it and gets away with it, be all right for me. Uh-uh. He was talking about Israel when he wrote Hebrews. He was using Israel as an analogy. They never entered into the rest. But you know, he could easily, talk, he could easily be talking about the Dreamerites. That's us. All these disciples had was the word. That's all they had. Then he says, the word of God is living and it's active. Sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates dividing soul and spirit. You and I fight so much against this word. You fight, you wrestle. Because you don't like what he's doing. You don't like the choices it's asking you to make. Or am I the only one? How many of you know the soul does not like exposure? The soul does not like repentance. The soul does not like admitting it's wrong. I always say about my son, Ben. Ben will find every way to get in your good books without saying, I'm sorry. The word sorry just seems doesn't, it's not in his vocabulary. I say, Ben, it's easy to say sorry. He does that mancunion. I say, just say you're sorry, but no, he'll find every way he'll do something for you. He'll go the extra mile, but he won't say, I'm sorry. Just like his mother. (laughs) The thing is, sorry is a powerful word. But the soul doesn't like it. Ben wants the relationship and the favour of the relationship, but he doesn't want to acknowledge he was wrong. He doesn't want to acknowledge that that way is no longer acceptable or that way doesn't work. 
But if I just keep brewing up for you or going to the shops for you or doing something, I can carry on my stupidity. No, you can't. Sorry means it's the wrong, it was, I was wrong for what I did or the way I keep doing something. True? Kids don't understand that. They just want to get back into the place of relationship. But they don't want to learn. You can't just keep saying, I repent, Lord, and keep on doing what you want. It won't work. God is not fooled by your words. And then he says, the soul doesn't want to open up and let others in. But the word nevertheless will and must do this internally. The word must come into us. So we must open up. Allow it to come in. And find a place where we can find that healing and that rest and that trust again. So you've been hurt once. It's not a reason to stop and not trust again. Listen, you want to be hurt, come to my side of the fence. People, you, you, you labor for people. You do the best for people. Then people say, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. If I don't learn to handle what's going on inside, and I don't always, but if I don't learn to handle what's going on inside, I'm not coming next week. <laughs> See, for you, it's an option for to walk out the door, but for me, foxes have no holes. <laughs> where, do I, where do I lay my head? Well, I've, it's the same as you. I've got to find peace. I'm no different from you. True? They say that past, the pastoral role is one of the stre- strenuous jobs you can ever have. Well, I can't say that's been my experience. But I've had moments of pain like you. But I've still got to trust you. Still got to work with you. Still got to love you. Still got to like you. Still got to listen to you. True? Come on. Some of you don't like your boss, but you go back there every day. Why? Because you know there's a benefit. Right. Something compels you to keep going. Sometimes it's a need. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's, something, it's something else. But something must keep us in that boat. Something's got to keep us in that boat. Something's got to keep us on that road. Something has to. Because there's a million and one reasons to just do, you know, to leave this thing. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. Oh, and then I like this part. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. God knows what you're thinking. God sees what you're doing. True? God sees it all. It, look, if it's the Alpha and the Omega, he's seen the beginning from the end. He's seen the beginning of your stupidity and the end of your stupidity. True? Like I said before, there's two battles we fight. One internal and one external. God knows how. To, to speak into that craziness. How does God bring the battle to us internally to an end? He sends his word. He sends his own word. The same word that's sharper. The same word that's living and active and judges and penetrates and separates. And goes to the blood, to the marrow, to the joint. Everything. The same word that goes that deep. Is the word that he speaks to you and I. It's the only thing we've got. And when he speaks to us. At times we feel like our flesh is literally being torn open. It's where we resist God the most. At times we feel numb. 
dead, unconscious inside to spiritual things. But Christ within you is making you alive through his word. Only his word can restore the numb, the dead parts, the parts of your flesh that need cutting off. Only his word can do that. Why? Because he's quickening life to our mortal body. The greatest hindrance to God using his word to heal you is you. Is you. Your mistrust of his own people. Your mistrust of his own people. The people he puts in there to help you, you mistrust them and therefore you hinder the word from going any further in your own life. Because one person hurt you, now everyone's going to hurt you. It's like the woman who got abused or the man that got abused and now she sees every partner or he sees every partner as being a potential. That's not true, is it? But it's a reality to them. What it does, it shows you that there's pain in the heart that needs dealing with. And until you can help them move that, they'll see everyone as a potential threat. That's enough reason to get the help, but they don't go and get the help. Because in their world, that's not logic. Protection is the logic. Save yourself. Self-preservation. Keep away from everyone. But but there's part of their life, they also want to be loved. They also want to be accepted. They also want to be validated. So they get involved in a relationship, and then the relationship is problems. Why? Because they won't give themselves. They hold a part of themselves back where the other, the other person is giving everything but he's getting nothing back. So it creates conflict within the relationship. And unless then they either get divorced or they go and get some counselling, it reveals that this thing's wrong. See what I'm saying? That's why when you put two people together, you better make sure they're all right. Because time will tell and time will reveal. Like when these guys... When Philip gets married and when Tom and Grace, they go through counselling. Not because they're sick. But my counselling will reveal if they are sick. Come on, be honest. I don't do it because it's dutiful. I don't want to waste nights. They don't want to waste nights. But the counselling reveals what's not right. So that when they get together, we clean some stuff. Rather than get married and then later on, you know what, if, if our government put a stipulation that every couple should get counselling before they get married, we would have far healthier marriages. We would. And I wrote to our MP about that. I said, we'll, we'll be a centre, we'll offer to do it. Can you imagine? All we need is God's perspective. So, Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, almighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name. Worship the Lord in his splendor and of his holiness. Psalm 29. God's got a perspective first for you to go through the battle, to go through all what you're going through right now. He wants you to have a perspective. Ascribe to the Lord. Almighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name. Worship the Lord in his splendor of holiness. There's a place where you and I, even though we're hurt, we can stand and ascribe to God. There is a place that God wants you to know. That no, though you're hurt, though you might be broken, I'm not. So I minister from a place what's healed. Well, God's never not, not, not been broken in, in that sense. But God's ministering to you from a place of purity, from a place of steadfastness. Amen? So that's why you must come to him. Now, we know sovereign, the sovereignty of God comes to people's lives when they wasn't looking for them. 
And the sovereignty of God will occasionally put people across your path so you get another chance. So that's God coming to you. But maturity says, you must come to me. Hello? Immaturity, God sees that. But immaturity, if we're saints, God expects us to come to him. A scribe, who's he speaking to? Us. Lift up. Declare. We've got to learn to open our mouth and speak to God. You don't pray to God quietly, right, without using words. You're not on the bus. If you're in the bus and you're praying those mental prayers, then find a place off the bus where you can open your mouth. Now, don't do it on the bus. Stand up and go, oh, Lord. Everyone on the bus is going to think you're nutter. Well, you are a nutter if you're doing that. But find a place where you can go and speak your thoughts. Don't play mental games. Oh, Lord, you know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm thinking, Lord. And you're praying in your mind. There might be times when you go in places where you can't audibly pray, and that prayer might be okay. But I'm talking about a daily routine. Get off the bus. Find a place. Walk the last 500 yards. That's radical for some of you, isn't it? (laughs) Park half a mile away from where you work so you can walk into work and speak to God. Whoa, no, no. That means I've got to get up 15 minutes earlier. True? I walk home from work. When I want to talk to God, I do. I go past his house. You want to hear me pray when I'm walking past his house? <laughs> I say, Lord, don't stop me now, Lord. I'm on a journey. This is what he says, verse 3. Now, let's just, before you, you, you read that, remember we read in Matthew eight twenty three, and they got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. We all remember that. Right. Where is the voice of the Lord here in verse 3 of, of uh, Psalm 29? The voice of the Lord is over the waters. It's not in the boat. It's over the waters. First place that God wants you to see to take this battle from within to without is you must understand that the voice of the Lord is over the waters. It doesn't matter how high the storm gets. The voice can go higher and higher and higher. Hello? It's over the waters. So listen to this. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the where? The mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. So he can turn a situation, a disastrous situation, into a place of joy. That joy makes you skip. Amen? The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. Oh, guess what? The Lord blesses his people with peace. So to get the peace, you need the word. Okay, the reason why the prophetic word is coming to you to get into the boat, to cross over to the other side, is that many of you have been on the wrong side. And many of you have been on the wrong side too long. 
He's bringing an end. It's time to break away from this place. Hello? The reason why the the prophetic word has come to you to get into the boat is it's time to change the battle from the inside to the outside. Your battle has been going on inside you for way too long. And guess what? You've never got the victory. In all this time, in all your strategies, in all your ways, you have never ever got peace in that area where you wanted it. Come on, someone help me. Be honest with yourself. It comes back, flashbacks. It comes back seasonally. Why? Because you've never ever been able to bring peace into that area of your life. You've struggled with it. Why? Because you tried to deal with it on your own in your own strategies. You broke away from the crowd. You thought you had enough strength to row your own boat across. But you didn't because the storm rose up even higher. And you realize that the storm within you is much more powerful than you. And you didn't like the word when it came to you. You felt it was was for somebody else, but not for you. So the storm keeps raising higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And within you, and you're thinking, God, you don't love me. You don't listen to me. God says, will you just take the word? It's medicine. You know when they give you medication for some illnesses, it takes a process or a time before the medicine kicks in. Now, if you know, the moment you swallow it, you want it to work. That's called magic. God doesn't do magic. God does God. Amen? So like when you take those antibiotics, they say, take a good double dose first. Get them in. But how many of you know, it takes about a week and a half before those suckers start to work. Don't they? Am I the only one? Your painkillers, you want your pain to stop instantly the moment you swallow it. So you take a double dose. Then you get reliant upon them. Now you've created another problem. Now you've got a pain. Now you've only got pain. Now you've got an addiction. True? All these, you can't, God, when God sends his word, it doesn't make you well overnight. God's word, when you listen to it and let it work within you, it begins to heal you. It begins to purge you. But you and I want it overnight. True? So many things in the natural body do not heal overnight. It takes time. But we want it overnight. God says, no. It's still the same medicine. It'll still work, but it needs to be tried and tested in you. It needs to consume every part of your body. Yeah? The reason why the prophetic word comes to you telling you to get into the boat is that so you can see the wonders of God out in the deep. Oh, you want to, you want to see the miracles on the side? No, no, no. See them out in the deep. Yeah? And he got up and rebuked the winds and waves and they were completely calm. Where was he? He was out in the deep. When his voice spoke over the waters. The same God that spoke in Psalm is the same God that's in the boat still speaking. His voice is over the waters. And this, this is what they said. And then the men were amazed. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And I'm finishing. The reason why the prophetic word getting into the boat comes to you is so that you can see the word of God. It's powerful. It has a voice, it's active, only when listened to. The reason why he told you to get into the boat is so that you being out in the deep, the Lord can break the cedar in your life. The Lord, see, you've got rigid ways. Ask your husband, ask your wife, ask your friends. You've got rigid, stubborn ways. And the fact that you're all quiet at this point, thank you for your overwhelming 
You have got stubborn ways. You will not move on certain things. Now, some of those things are good not to move on. But we're talking about in the negative sense here now. And sometimes your reeds, your, sorry, your cedar will not bend. It's got no give and take in it. So the only good thing has got us to snap it. When you can't yield, you can't bend, you can't sway into the wind, into the will of God. There's only one thing, God has to come and smash it and break it. And when he talks in Psalm, it talks about the cedar, it talks about the oak. Yeah? God has to break something. So, you know, they say the worst thing is when you bust your ankle, if you don't break it and keep spraining it, it's the worst thing. They reckon you're best off breaking your ankle so they can reset it. And then it gets stronger. And I know that personally because I sprained my ankle really bad three times. And it was always weak until one day of playing football. I put my foot out just like that and I heard it snap like a twig. And you know what? When I first got off the crutches, I felt really vulnerable that I couldn't, it wouldn't support me. But then you realise, you get confidence. Yeah, I can. Then you start playing again. You're still a bit nervous. And then after a while, you don't think about it. And now that leg's never let me down. In fact, he scored some great goals on a Tuesday night. Don't John? The boy will testify to that. I'm the greatest piece of glory that, that this country never, never saw <laughs> when it came to football. Some things are better off being snapped so they can be reset. Hello? The voice crossed to the other side. When, we, when he's allowed to do this within us, then the Lord gives you strength to his people. The Lord gives strength to his people. And let me just read something to you as we finish him. Go to Psalm 107. And this, I promise, I'll read this and we'll close. Psalm 107. This is so powerful. Verse, starting at verse 4. I'm going to flick through different verses, so just keep with me. Is everybody there? Psalm 107, verse 4. When some wandered in the desert. Now I know that's not you. When some wandered in the desert wastelands. Finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. And their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. Hear what God's saying here. He led them by the straight way to a city. Where they could settle. That's talking about people's attitudes and responses. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for men, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. That's the goodness of God. People are searching for a stable place. People move from one place to another, hoping they're going to find stability because they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're hurting. And God gets you in a place, but so many people get weary en route to that place. But God's will is for you is to find a city. Hello? To find a place so that you can see the goodness of God. All they did was cry out. Listen to this. And this is the consequence of a stubbornness and your disobedience. Go to verse 10. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom. Prisoners suffered in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. There is no one, there never is anyone to help when you're in disobedience. Hello? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. 
He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. The mercy of God again is the moment when men cry, he answers. Go to verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction. Now I know that's none of you. Because of their iniquities. They loathed, listen, all food and drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thanks offerings and tell his works with songs of joy. Verse 23. Others went out on the sea in ships. So some took the word. Let's go. They were merchants of the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord. His wonderful deeds were in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high waves. So God was behind the storm. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, the courage melted away, just like the disciples did. They, they reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits. Anybody felt like that? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress he stilled the storm to a whisper oh the waves of the sea were hushed they were glad when it grew calm i bet they were and he guided them to their desired haven in other words the other side let them give thanks to the lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and sorry, let him assemble in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into deserts, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land in salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live. But then he turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they found a city where they could settle. God will bring you to the desired place that where you can settle when you cry out to him. When you cry out to him and you allow his word to come over your waters, God will lead you to the desired city where he has for you, where his gates are like bronze, his walls can surround you and comfort you and, and, and bring a support to you. But it all takes you and I to cry and acknowledge our ways to him. Get in the boat. Lord, I don't want to go. Why? Because I'm hurting. Acknowledge your ways. Cry out to the Lord. Open your heart. Let others speak into it. You cannot just do it with you and God. You cannot just do it. Now you can pray. Listen, the fruit is that you've been trying to do it with just you and God for a long time and it's not worked. God uses his people. God uses ministers. God uses friends. People who can minister the word to you. You can't do it on your own. That's why he said, all get in the boat. If I only needed one, that's all I needed. But no, we need each other. But you keep doing it on your own, do it on your own. Guess what? You keep going around in circles. Because you only tell God one half of the story. That's the trouble. You tell God how you feel and how you've been wronged. But a friend will tell you like it is. Hello? You can't overcome your pain on your own. You need help. But I know you know that. I know you know that. I know you know that.
Because you've been doing it for a long time. But God is saying, no, no, no. Stay in the boat. The voice is over the waters. For this house, the voice is over the waters. I can keep speaking over the storm. Doesn't matter if it comes from the left or the right. The voice is speaking. Amen. God's voice is speaking. We heard it in all the people who shared this morning. Before I even spoke, we heard his voice. We heard his voice. Why? Because it beauty, wasn't it beautiful how when Jill started and then the flow just came? And there was a continuity. Then uh, Mary got up and, and then Paul got up and who else got up? Um, Michelle. Michelle got up. And the voice was continuous. The wave was flowing. Why? It was lifting us up to where he was. His voice was speaking. All you have to do is take it. Let's stand to our feet. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.